Well, good morning. Happy uh, Thanksgiving weekend to you. I hope you had a nice weekend. Boy, I really appreciate worshiping with you. You know, uh, nothing resets my nothing resets my alignment like it ought to uh, than being here and worshiping with you on a Sunday morning, singing together. Uh, you'd think that as a pastor, I probably stay on track all week. You know, me and the Lord, and and uh, the truth is, uh, that's not the truth. <laughs> that uh, really, nothing resets my focus like being here singing with you every Sunday morning. I appreciate that. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up our study in Ruth here in a couple minutes, but uh, before we do that, we're going to do something that uh, we uh, call a parent-child dedication for several families today. We have three families who are going to be taking this step with their children, and we've experimented different ways of, of doing this as a faith family. And, and the truth is, it's not something you even have to do with your church. It's something that you can do as parents at home, but but uh, doing it with your church helps bring a certain level of accountability to this. And uh, so we like to offer it to families. And uh, uh, we have three families who are going to be taking this step. Uh, and, and really the purpose of this this morning is a step that parents take as an expression of their own desire to raise their kids to become followers of Jesus. And it's an acknowledgement that that's not an easy job and they need the Lord's help for that. And they need their faith family's help for that. And so uh, in the second service, we're going to be uh, dedicating a couple of uh, families' children. Uh, that would be uh, Adeline Grove. I think we have their pictures here, so I'll get them in the right order, I think. Adeline Grove, uh, daughter to Travis and uh, Jody Grove. And then uh, two, uh, two Clara Williams. This is, this is Jody's sister, Jamie, and Kyle Williams. Uh, Clara and Quinn. And so uh, we're, they'll be in the second service, but uh, uh, the family, so we're going to be dedicating those kids to second service. The family is going to be dedicating their child in this service uh, is Max and Laura Henderson. So I'm going to ask Max and Laura if you'll come and bring baby Adeline. This is Adeline Henderson. And uh, I know it defies imagination, but there's part of me right there. Can you? <laughs> yeah, figure that. It's the bald head. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks. So, so here we have Max and Laura and baby Adeline. And uh, I'm going to have you guys stand right here, front and center. And Adeline is how old? Seven weeks. Seven weeks. And she was born October the 7th. Right? I knew that. but uh, So October the 7th. And... And Max and Laura want to take this step with their brand new baby. And here's what, here's, here's what I want to talk about for just a minute as we prepare to do this. I want to uh, remind everyone what this really means. Uh, it means it's really a charge. So I have a charge to Max and Laura as the parents, and I have a charge to you as the church because we're the two parties in this uh, before the Lord. Uh, taking this step uh, is on the part of a parent it means several things. On the part of Max and Laura, them coming here to take this step is an expression of gratitude for the life that they've been entrusted with. So it's an expression of gratitude. Uh, secondly, it's an expression of commitment to the stewardship that God has given them. This is a lifelong stewardship for Max and Laura. Parents, nod your head, right? A lifelong stewardship 
for Max and Laura. And uh, with that in mind, this is also, this is a commitment to that stewardship. And it's also a recognition that that stewardship is beyond your ability. And so it's a time to ask God for His grace and help in this process. Uh, and to ask God to move in Adeline's life to draw her to himself and help her become a wholehearted follower of Jesus and to use Max and Laura in that process. And so that's what it means on the part of the parents. It's, a, it's an act of gratitude, an expression of commitment to the stewardship, and a request to God for help. On our part, as a faith family, it's a challenge for us to play the role that we ought to play in partnering with parents. You see, that's one of the beauties of being an intergenerational church, that we get to partner with each, the generations get to partner with each other in this process. And so we partner with parents in the raising of their children. And so uh, as uh, part of, as a faith family, we also have responsibility here. So what I want to do is I want to charge both groups with a spiritual challenge. I want to charge Max and Laura. Here's your charge. I'm going to read part of it. I want to challenge you to do what Paul instructs parents to do, and that is raise your children in the nurture and admonition or the training and instruction of the Lord. I like to think of that as two words, forming and informing. So your job is going to, to be to form and inform Adeline about what it means to follow Jesus. So you teach, but you also mold And as you teach and mold her what it means to follow Jesus, here's the beautiful part. God will mold you more and more like Jesus. Because parenting, like God calls us to, is spiritual formation in us. Parents, nod your heads. Right? As we parent, God works in us as well and helps us become more like Jesus. So, the charge for you is to raise Adeline in the, in the forming and informing that will help her become a follower of Jesus. Your own examples and your own priorities are a huge part of that. This act here does not take any responsibility away from you. This is not the handing of the baton to the Lord, and now you're done because you took your child up to the front of the church and let him take over from there, right? It's really more an accepting the baton from the Lord, Right? To raise your children as God has called you to. And so to Trinity, here's what I charge you to do. I charge you to bend toward the generation behind you. Bend to the generation that follows you. And let's give ourselves to raising up generations behind us. Let's raise up generations behind us that love and follow Jesus. And let's do this by supporting parents. Let's do this by a church that values children. Let's do this by being a church that serves children and teaches children and we involve ourselves in ministries that minister to children because we recognize that we're partnering with parents. We're helping them raise children who follow Jesus. And we are uh, helping set up the work that God wants to do in the future when we're off the scenes, kind of like what we talked about last Sunday. So what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray for these parents. I want to pray uh, the prayer that I pray for my kids when I put them to bed at night, that God would help uh, them grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. That's a description of Jesus as he was growing up. And uh, 
pray that God will help Adeline connect with all the good works that God has called her to do. All right? So that's a beautiful thing to think about. And what I'd like to do is uh, ask you if you'll raise your hands toward this family, and let's pray for them and for us. Father, we are so thankful that you use the picture of a family when you talk about who you are to us. You are our Father, and we are your children. And you love us and provide for us and care for us. One of the ways you do that is by entrusting other lives to us, and you've done that for Max and Laura. You've entrusted them with baby Adeline. And we are so thankful for this. We see this as a sign of your grace and goodness in their lives. We also know that it's a stewardship. It's a responsibility. So Max and Laura are here with Adeline to say thank you. They're here to say uh, that we're committed to raising her to follow you. And they're here to ask for your help. And we're here as their faith family to express our own uh, partnership with them. And we thank you for this special time when we can do this. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would uh, work in Adeline's life, raise her up in the wisdom and, and the uh, wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. Help her to connect with uh, all the good works that you've created her to do in this world. And uh, draw her to follow you at an early age so she can live a life that's invested in walking with you through this world Uh, walking with you and doing the good things that you've called her to do. Give Max and Laura wisdom. Give them a courage. Give them daily discipline to carry out what you've called them to do. And uh, then as their faith family, help us to partner with them. And we thank you for this special opportunity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Wait, before you go, I have a presentation for you. We have a uh, the New Bible in Pictures for Little Eyes. This is a beautiful, uh, really well done uh, Bible. If you're looking for a Bible to use with your family, this is, this is a great one. And we have it uh, inscribed for you, for Adeline, actually. And so this is from your church to you as part of our expression to partner with you in raising her. So thank you. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Quiet clapping. Right? Good job. And as you see the Williams family and the Grove family, this second service, uh, be sure to uh, acknowledge them. That'll be fun. And if this is something, the step that you want to take with your family, uh, your children, uh, you are more than welcome to do that. Put, put us, give us a note on the connection card, and we'll do this uh, periodically as a way of uh, encouraging you and involving your faith family in the raising of our Uh, partnering with parents in raising kids. Well, here's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, We're going to have a very simple observation of, uh, of really a simple time of worship. That's what it's going to be. Just a simple time of worship and a couple simple ideas to guide us as we worship through communion. So we we just ate a big meal this week, and we said uh, as a result of our study of Ruth that when you feel full this this thanksgiving. Remember how full you really are, how God has filled your life. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to eat another significant meal that's going to fill you and remind you how full you are in in another way. And that's a meal of communion. 
and uh, we're going to be worshiping Jesus during this time. Uh, So we've learned a lot from our study of Ruth, and I hope it's been encouraging to you like it has been for me. We've learned how God is at work in the lives of ordinary people like you and me. We've learned how uh, God is in the details when we are in his will, when we follow him. God orchestrates even the tiniest things, the people we meet and the choices that we make. We've seen that illustrated in the story of Ruth. We've seen how God fills faithful lives, and he does that as we empty our lives to fill other people. We've seen that modeled in Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, and we know that it's true for us, that God will fill our lives. But he fills our lives as we empty them in serving other people. And uh, we've learned these things. We've learned that God will look out for us as we look out for other people. But the story of Naomi and Boaz and Ruth is important, not only because it teaches us how God is at work in our lives, but it's also important because it, it, is, uh, it teaches us about the central figure of the Bible, Jesus, and Ruth teaches us about the central act of the Bible, God working in the world to bring salvation to humankind. See, Ruth is not just a story, it's not just an independent story, it's not just a a freestanding story of how God worked in the lives of people. The book of Ruth is really a story inside a much bigger story. It's a story within the story of how God is at work in the world to save humankind from the mess that we're in. Ruth is not just an independent story. It's part of this much bigger overarching story of how God is working in the world to bring men and women back to himself. And uh, the hero of this story, of this overarching story, the hero of the story of Ruth can be, uh, you, can, you can argue over that, it might be Ruth, it might be Boaz, you know, but the story, within, the, the story that it's part of, the much bigger part of the story, there's no arguing with who the hero is of that story, the hero of this overarching story of God at work in the world to bring men and women back to himself, is, the hero of that story is Jesus. And so, at any point when you're reading your Bible, it doesn't matter where you're reading in your Bible, at any point, you can ask yourself and should ask yourself this question. At any point in your Bible, you say, what does this story that I'm reading right now, or this incident, or this book that I'm in, what does it tell me about the overarching? What is this story about in the big story? What role does this play in this large narrative of how God is at work in the world? You ask yourself that question. What what part does this story play in the big story? And What does this tell me about the hero of the big story? And that is Jesus. So when you ask those two questions about the book of Ruth, you get some beautiful answers. In short, there are really two main uh, things that Ruth contributes to our understanding of Jesus. One is a line. Ruth tells us about this bigger story by giving us a line and a picture. All right, first the line. The line that Ruth tells us about is the bloodline of Jesus. Ruth, uh, as we read the, you know, we read the genealogy at the end of the book of Ruth, and uh, we learned that Boaz and Ruth, who get together at the end of the story, that they become the great-grandparents of the greatest king in Israel's history, King David, and they become the ancestors of the greatest king in Israel's 
future, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. You read the genealogy in Matthew 1 that people read around Christmas time, and you'll read Matthew making a point of calling out Ruth and Boaz as the great grandparents of King David. And when you keep going through that genealogy, you get to the birth of Jesus. So you have, uh, we, we are reminded that Ruth plays a part in this overarching big story because Ruth becomes an ancestor of the Messiah. And when you think about that, there's really, a, there's really something important that's being said there because you remember Ruth is a Moabitess. She's not even Jewish. She's not from Israel. She's a foreigner and an immigrant, and God brings her into the family tree of the Messiah. So part of what we learn from Ruth is this line that, that Boaz and Ruth tell us something about the genealogy of the one that God would send, the Messiah. We learn something else about this big story and about the hero of the story, Jesus, from the book of Ruth, and that's a picture. Uh, when you read your Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you often come across pictures of something that's to come in the New Testament. Those are usually called types, okay? So you have, a type of, you have a type in the Old Testament that's fulfilled in the New Testament. It's a picture of something, a person or an event uh, that, that is to come. Well, we have a type in the book of Ruth. An example of a type would be the lamb. In the Old Testament, when you read about lambs, all right, uh, those are often types, especially of Jesus. So when you read that uh, during Passover, the very first Passover, when uh, Israel was still in the nation of Egypt and God was going to free them from the nation of Egypt. And he told them to kill a lamb and then take the blood of the lamb and paint it on the threshold of the door. That's a picture. That's a type of the lamb who is to come, who would be killed in order to protect those who have his blood applied to them. All right? It's a type. Uh, when lambs were killed twice a day in the temple system. That was a picture of the lamb who is to come, who would be put to death for our uh, restoration. So you have these types in the Old Testament. They're pictures of what's to come. And in Ruth, we also have a type that tells us something about Jesus. And the, the picture that we have in the book of Ruth is Jesus as a rescuing relative. Jesus as a kinsman redeemer. Remember that idea of the kinsman redeemer. He's the rescuing relative who has the legal right and the obligation to uh, come and rescue a needy family member, a family member who's become poor, who's experienced hardship, and you know they're they're in a famine, or their crops don't produce, or whatever, and or they have a family member die, and the rescuing relative is the one who steps in to rescue them and to. Uh, take all of their resources. For example, if they lose their land, the rescuing relative comes, buys the land back, and gives it to the, to the person who lost it, to the family in need. It's that idea of the kinsman redeemer. Well, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And that's how we're going to be worshiping him through communion this morning. We're going to be remembering that Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. See, without Jesus, the Bible describes you and me a lot like it describes Ruth when she leaves Moab to go to Israel. You remember, Ruth is a foreigner. She's an immigrant. 
She has no status. She has no rights. She's an, a total outsider who is 100% dependent on mercy and help from someone else. That's exactly how the Bible describes us. Immigrants, foreigners, no status, outsiders, totally dependent on someone else's mercy and help. Let me show you where you, we read a, a passage that's very similar to how you might think about Ruth. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2. And it says this, Therefore, remember, Paul is, this is Paul writing, and he's contrasting who we used to be with who we are. Remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, that's most of us here this morning, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that is done by the body, by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were like Ruth. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Kind of like Ruth, right? Uh, excluded from, or separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, and, and that, you know, just like Ruth, we were excluded from citizenship. We didn't have any rights to what God was doing in the world. God was at work in the world through the nation of Israel, and if you weren't part of the nation of Israel, you weren't part of the deal. That's how it was in the Old Testament. You were without hope, and you were without God in the world. You were hopeless, and you were helpless. It doesn't matter how much power you have, how much status you have in this society today. When it comes to you and God, you were just a poor, bankrupt widow, and in no place to provide any help for yourself. Just like Ruth, we need a man. Just like Ruth, we need someone to rescue us from being immigrants, foreigners, outsiders to all the privilege and promise that is on the inside. We need a man, and this man is going to have to meet a couple qualifications. First of all, he's going to have to be, if he wants to be a kinsman redeemer, first of all, he has to be family. He has to be kinsman. And secondly, he has to be able and willing to pay what we owe. It's not just enough to have someone who is family. You remember Mr. So-and-so in chapter 4, he's family, but he wasn't willing to part with his resources. So if we want a kinsman redeemer, we need a man, but not just any man's going to do. He's going to have to be family, and he's going to have to be willing to pay the price. And that is exactly who God provides in the person of Jesus. He provides us with someone who is, first of all, family. To rescue us, God became man. When we begin our series next Sunday, four Sundays in a row, our series called Selfless, we're going to be in, in one passage all four Sundays. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, the passage that talks about how the eternal God became incarnate. He, be, he took on flesh. For four Sundays, we're going to talk about what that means.
And uh, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He took on flesh for us. God, the eternal God, became a member of the human family, if you can imagine that. Uh, So uh, one of my sons from China, we've had these boys with us for about six months. And uh, one of them, Jed, he's six. And he probably asks me, if I'm home during the day, and if it's not me, it's Lisa. He probably asks me, I'm trying not to exaggerate here. He probably asks me 40 questions a day, at least. 40. I mean, think of that. That's number 21, somewhere in there. Number 31, number 16, question number 38. I mean, it's a lot of questions. And uh, they are, at least half of them are about God. Now, you understand, he's had access to English for about six months. But he wants, he, probably half his questions about God, and most of those are really hard to answer. They're really hard to answer because God is Trinity, three in one, and one of the persons of the Godhead is a human being. So, he asks questions like, can God, remember he's, he's six, he's just learning about God, and he's just learning his English, but he gets it across. Can God drive with his eyes closed? Okay, because he knows God is all-powerful and can do anything. So can God drive with his eyes closed? If I make a card and say, I love you, can I go to heaven and give it to God? How do you answer that question? Does God have hair? No. Does Jesus have hair? Yes. But God and Jesus are the same? Yes. Why does, why does Jesus have bones and not God? Miss that class in seminary. Are God and Jesus brothers? No. God is the Father. Jesus is His boy. Who's the boss, God or Jesus? This is, this is one morning's questions. One morning's questions. So I want you to see that, how do you answer those questions? Part of the inability to answer questions like that comes from the fact that God is three in one, and one of those three is a human being. He has a body like you and me. Jesus is kin to us. He does have hair. He would have to drive with his eyes open because he's like us, God in a body. So he's kin, but remember, that's not enough. He has to be kin who's willing to take his resources and use them to buy back what we owe, to pay for what we owe. We owe. That's what it means to be the redeemer. It means to pay the price to buy something back. That's what Jesus did for you and me. He had the means and he was willing and able to pay what we owed. We were under the crushing debt of our own rebellion against God. And Jesus came and by his death, he bought us back. There's a great passage in Titus that says, uh, uh, teaches this. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. So our kinsman redeemer gave himself for us 
to redeem us from all wickedness and purify us, so to buy us out of something and put us into something, purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. So Jesus is kin, and he's willing to take his resources and pay what we owe. And so now when we go back to that passage in Ephesians, I left off a little bit at the end. We're going to read that one more time, and we're going to add what's at the end, because I want you to see that now we have a kinsman redeemer. Remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that is, uh, in the body done by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, just like Ruth. Excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have a man. We have a kinsman redeemer who did not refuse to leverage his resources for us, but instead willingly did that to provide us with salvation. So on the Sunday following Thanksgiving, that's a good way to cap off a week of giving thanks, to remember that thanks to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, we have salvation. I want to ask our, uh, the deacons who are going to be serving, pastors and deacons who are going to help today, uh, if you'll come forward. If you'll come forward and have a seat, and we're going to observe communion this morning. And I want to explain the purpose of communion and also uh, remind, us, uh, remind us what communion is for and give us some things to think about as we take communion. I'm going to ask Tim Thompson. Tim, will you come and help us too? So the purpose of communion, Jesus established this time of remembering when he was with his disciples on the very last night, and they still didn't understand exactly what it meant when they went through this process. It wasn't until they must have looked back on that a few days later, once everything kind of settled down, that they, that they remembered what that was all about. We have the benefit of hindsight and looking back and understanding what Jesus was explaining to his disciples. But he took bread and broke it, said, this is my body. He took wine and poured it, said, drink this, this is my blood, and I want you to do this uh, to remember me. And they didn't understand what we understand now, but the church when they did understand, they began to observe this same uh, memorial that we're going to observe today. And Jesus' followers through 2,000 years have remembered Jesus in this way. So as we remember Jesus in this way this morning, we're connecting with uh, church history all the way back to something that Jesus started himself. And the Bible only puts two requirements on communion. One is that you've made the decision to be a Jesus follower. If that's not you this morning, then communion is something that's an expression of your faith in Jesus. So if you're like, I don't really buy what you teach about Jesus, I haven't made up my mind yet, that's okay. We're glad you're here. It's a great place for you to be. We'd love to have continuing conversations with you about that, help you come to clarity. But the right thing for you to do would be just to pass the elements by, and no one will think anything of that. The other reminder we have is that because uh, communion is an act of worship, it's an act of worship. That means that we're coming before God and we're, we're pretending like everything's good. Everything's only good if you're a Jesus follower. 
and everything's only good if, as a Jesus follower, you're living in alignment with that calling. If there's a part of your life that is way out of whack this morning, the right thing for you to do is not to ignore that and pretend like it doesn't matter, because it does. The right thing for you to do is to take this time to get that in order uh, so that you can participate the next time. Again, if you just need to pass ailments by, you're like, this is not a good morning for me to do this, that's okay. Use this time just to, just to bring things back in line where they ought to be. If you uh, fit those two qualifications, and even if, if this is your first time here this morning, we welcome you to participate in communion. And we're going to, we kind of shake it up and do it different ways. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to pass out the bread, hang on to that, we'll take the bread together. Then we'll pass out the cup, hang on to that, we'll take the cup together. I want to give you a couple things to think about. I'm going to leave this scripture up here. And we're going to listen to some music that's going to help us worship. I want you, as we worship our kinsman redeemer, that's kind of how we're going to think about the bread and the cup. I want you, as we take the bread, to remember that the bread is Jesus' body. It's what makes him kin to us. Jesus took on a physical body. And that physical body was broken on our behalf. So as we take the bread, pass it around, you take a piece wants you to think about Jesus in a body that he's kin to you. He's part of the human family. That the eternal God took on something as tangible as a piece of bread. And we'll think about that as we worship. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you, for your benefit. So do this in remembrance of me.
So you, you're holding something you can feel. You're holding something tangible. You're holding something that is three-dimensional. In the same way, Jesus became something tangible. The eternal God became three-dimensional and uh, did that, took on all the limitations and the hassles that we experience in our bodies and in this world in order to be kin to us. And so uh, we want to take a minute, we want to think about that, and we want to pray and say thank you, God, for doing that. Uh, Jesus, we want to thank you for your willingness to take on flesh. We know that you could have held on to your, your eternal status and, and your unlimited uh, expression, but that you allowed yourself to become limited uh, for us, and you lived through the same kinds of hassles that we live through, and the same kind of hurts and pains that we live through, only they must have affected you so much more greatly. It must have broken your heart in ways that ours aren't broken. And we are thankful to you that you did this, that you are our kinsman. And uh, I want to pray. Jesus, that as we uh, enter into four Sundays of remembering your selflessness, that you will uh, speak to us even more about what it means, what you've done for us. Father, we thank you for sending your Son and Spirit. We thank you for making all this possible. We don't comprehend it all, but we know that, that thanks to you, we were excluded from Christ, and now we are in him. And that's what we remember this morning, and we thank you. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body. Do this to remember me. The rest of the picture of Jesus' death is blood. There's no nice way to put it. Uh, we've done gruesome, messy things in the world to ruin our relationship with God, and it took something gruesome and messy to win us back to himself. This passage reminds us, and think about this as the, as the juice is passed, that uh, we in Christ Jesus, who were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The bread reminds us that Jesus is our kinsman. The blood reminds us the price that he paid to win us back to himself.
Our passage says, the very last verse, Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What we don't appreciate, I think, uh, is how far away we were. You know, it's hard to sink in that we were separate from Christ, that we were excluded from citizenship. We were strangers to the promise. So I was reading this uh, just here this morning with you. I was thinking how at the end of those first five verses in Ruth, we read about their plight, and we said, oh my. Well, oh my. Strangers to what God excluded from all the good things God wants to do in the world and in us. Helpless. Hopeless. But now in Christ Jesus, we who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have a kinsman who is willing to pay the price, able and willing to pay what we owe. And that's what we celebrate. Father, we thank you. We pray that you'll fill us with a, with a deep awareness of our sinfulness, a deep awareness of our uh, alienation from you, that even those of us who followed you for decades still have a strong vein of that living in us. We were hopeless and helpless. Had you not acted, we would still be under your wrath. But now, through Jesus, we've been brought near, and we thank you. Amen. Jesus said this is the blood that really seals this new deal, a new covenant that, he, that he's making. And uh, we do this to remember him. Let me pray. Father, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you, the kinsman redeemer, your kin. But you have resources and identity, an ability far beyond anything we possess. And you utilize that and leverage it for our rescue. And we thank you. We pray, Spirit, that you will continue the work that you began in our lives, that you continue to mold us in the image of the one that we serve. Amen. Thanks, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I know that I have. Uh, just thinking about <clears throat> uh, who in the different stories that have stood out to you. I, Boaz stood out to me. I remember the morning Brad said, can you imagine a culture that did was just doing what was right in their own eyes? <laughs> and uh, that, that kind of brought it home. I hope that... Uh, I hope that I could be somebody who would live in right relationship with the people around me, as, as Boaz was. He was familiar with their needs. He was in a position to do something about those needs. I want to be like that. I don't know what stood out to you in this series. I hope you were encouraged by it. But, um, but I love that challenge. I love thinking about that and just the idea that something so long ago can be so relevant for us today and challenge us today. That's fantastic. Well, it may seem funny, but we have that opportunity we have an opportunity to, to share the needs that we have. And th- this is one silly little way. It may be the bottom of the line of how we can do it. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to write down. If you've got a need or you know somebody who's got a need, we'd love you to write down on here so that we can pray about that or maybe be in a position to help take care of those needs. And also, 
as Boaz was, was taking the opportunity to be able to respond to things, we want to be a people like that, right? And so we're going to give an offering. And, and part of what that offering does is it helps take care of the needs of people here inside the building and outside of the building. And we want to continue to do that as, as we've been charged. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these stories of so long ago of, of people who lived before us. And God, I don't know what it'll be like when we get to heaven if, if our stories will be told, but I hope they will be um, as challenging and as interesting. And I, and I hope that our names will be recorded as people who responded, that they did what they best to understand their position of being redeemed, that they lived in right relationship with the people around them and with you, and that they responded to the needs of the people around them. God, help us to be that kind of people. Even though it's tough, even though there's all sorts of crazy circumstances in a a really messed up culture, God, we want to be these people that respond to you in the right way. God, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. We're going to take one last opportunity to be thankful this morning. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks. You are good to us. You are gracious and compassionate, and you've gone all out to win us back to yourself, and we are thankful for that. We're thankful for how you fill our lives. We're thankful for how you use us to fill the lives of other people. We think about this valley and the 
vast needs that exist here and our desire to see you fill this valley like the waters fill the sea. We want to be part of that. We want to give ourselves to that. Be with us as we go from gathered to scattered today. And uh, this week, help us to bring Jesus with us. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, thank you. You're dismissed.